Hello and welcome to Ball in the Real World, your home of everything Australian basketball. We've got a lot to get through today. Uh, we're going to change it up a little bit because it's not just NBL chatter today. Uh, we're going to touch on a lot of different things. Ben Simmons is an all-star, three-time all-star now. That was uh, selected today or that was announced today. Um, we've got a good chat about a kind of a boomer's swing player. Uh, there's a situation going on where two Americans who both have the potential to be Australian, one of them is, um, we're going to have to pick between one of those two. So Steve and I are going to have, I don't know if it'll be a debate, uh, but we're going to go over, you know, who we might pick when it comes to those two players. Um, Joe Ingles and the Jazz are doing their thing. So we're going to touch on that for a little bit. And I'm in Melbourne for the NBL Cup. And so we're going to talk about that a bit, the hub, the atmosphere out here, what it's like on screen versus where I am watching every game in person. My name's Olga Nulich. As always, I'm your host for Ball in the Real World. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Steve, Steve Smith. Oh, excuse me. How are you, Steve? I'm really well, Elgin. Welcome to Melbourne. Uh, I hope you're enjoying everything we've, uh, we've got to offer. Thank you very much. I somehow butchered your name and your name is Steve Smith and my name is Olgin. Incredible. Um, Incredible. Amazing. Um, look, right <laughs> off the bat, let's, let's hit some good news. Ben Simmons is an all-star. Third straight year. He seems to be perennially averaging the same stuff. Um, every every season, it's 16, 8, and 8, give or take a point, a rebound, or, or assist, that sort of vibe. Um, obviously, we know what he does defensively as well, and that factors into everything we talk about with him. Um, there are a lot of controversial takes right now as far as who perhaps should have been in this All-Star game, but on it, on the surface, Ben Simmons, three-time All-Star, All-Star this season, is this? are you buying into that? Are you, are you in agreement with that selection? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think we could all be grateful that for the third year in a row, we don't have to have any Ben Simmons snubbed stories. <laughs> he's, uh, he's made the team again, so we can avoid avoid all the snub stories. Thank goodness for that. I think it's, it's really relevant to point out that, uh, yeah, he's averaging those numbers, but there's been a significant uptick since that aborted trade for, for James Harden. So... Yeah. Before that trade, he was only averaging about 12.6 points a game. And since then, he's been just a tick under 18. So can we, you know, I don't think it's too much to extrapolate that that probably lit a bit of a fire under him. And you only probably have to look at that 42-point game against Utah to, to see what that's done for him. Well, probably it probably lit a fire, but also just probably just this burden was just lifted off of him, right? Because mm -hmm. when, when you're playing under a, a trade cloud, that's tough to do, right? It's, it's yeah. tough to get yeah. motivated night in and night out to play when there's a there's a sentiment out there that your team might not want you um, or might mm. be looking to get rid of you. Um, yeah. yeah, so I totally agree with that. I, I think the when I when I talk about what he does defensively, it's it's one of those things where I understand what the All-Star game is, popularity contest, practically no defense, right? But I, I, I feel like the, the tack should always be that we should reward defense as opposed to being apathetic toward it even if we reward it the tiniest bit when it comes to all-stars right I, I look at defense is yeah. half the game it's literally 50 percent of the, the sport all right and so if, if you're among the best potentially the best at half of the game there's there's some reward that you need to get out of that um and i think ben simmons has that in, in droves obviously and um I, I don't think i think a lot of people are talking about the fact that um, who, who is who is on the in the East that potentially didn't get picked? Trey Young is one who was a starter last season, who didn't even make yeah. this team. You know what's 
if someone says Trey Young should have made it over Ben Simmons, because I think Ben Simmons, ben Simmons was probably toward the latter end of these selections. I think Sabonis is another name. Is, is there a yeah, legitimate argument or do you think Ben does kind of, kind of tick more boxes? Yeah, I think Sabonis is probably the bigger one for me. But I think you're right. I think defense has to be rewarded. He's the most versatile defender in the NBA and there's some daylight to the next best defender in that regard. Yeah. So, and I, I think it's nice to see that sort of thing rewarded. I, I, I agree. It's all about the spectacle and it's all about, you know, there's no defense played in an all-star game, but you've, you've got to reward that sort of effort. It, it, it's a, it's a recognition more than anything else that he's just an elite defender. And, and I think I, I still would have picked him over Sabonis for sure. Yeah. And last, the last point I'll make on this is I think of, let's say if we're, if we're comparing Ben Simmons to Zion, Right, who Zion, I think 20 years old, uh, named to his first All Star game. Big ups to him for that. I'm thinking of, you know, what Ben Simmons is offensively compared to what Zion is. I think there's a comparison there as far as the, the ability. And then, but then yep. defensively, I don't think it's a conversation, right? And so when you look at a no. complete player, you Ben Simmons is overwhelmingly more of a complete player than Zion purely because of what he does on that end. Um, and yep. so it, it, it's easy to get lost in hype and in highlights um, when we're sure. talking about picking these teams. I think the other thing that is actually a bonus for picking Ben is that the All-Star game is a point guard game. It's yeah. for facilitators to, to set people up. So in some respects, it's still a worthy selection at the offensive end if you don't talk about, say, that he won't shoot outside of the paint or anything like that. But as a facilitator, he's, he's perfect for the All-Star game. Yeah, I, I think it was either the last one or the, or the year before it. He came in off the bench and was just the most fun because mm. his, his skill set is built for it, right? That's yeah. exactly what he is. He is an athletic playmaker. So he will make the passes that we want to see and that, the, the sexy passes, and he's going to throw down big dunks. It's basically all we want to see. Someone who doesn't do that, and I'm going to use this as a segue um, because I want to talk about the Utah Jazz and, and Joe Ingles' role on in that team. Um, Mike Conley didn't make the team. Now, on an Australian podcast, we're going to talk about Australians, but it, it, there, was, there was a nice, I don't know, there was, it was quite a sentimental sort of narrative being driven over the past week that Mike Conley could have made his first All-Star game. He's been a, a really solid veteran for a really long time. Do you think that was a snub? Uh, no, I don't think it was a snub as such. Um, a, a tremendous player, but he's just probably just going to be one of those guys that really good over a long period of time and you know famously has never ever been given a technical foul either so you know it's just one of those no no never ever picked up a tech so um but i think no not not snubbed i think there are i think i think devon booker's a far bigger snub than uh than say mike conley but let's talk about joe ingles so absolutely Utah, utah have been on an absolute tear have they not and even with conley out for half a dozen games it's been all about Joe Ingles and even Quinn Snyder said it's a much more aggressive Joe Ingles as well. So in fact, I think in the six games that he started in, in front of Conley, it's, he's averaged over 16 points a game and he's shooting like 47.5% from, from beyond the arc. Red hot. His growth as a shooter has just been wild um, because it's, because it's, he's done it at different sorts of levels, right? He's done it mm. initially. He did it as a spot up shooter, you know, largely in the corners and working off guys like Gordon Hayward 
um, and Donovan Mitchell when he came in. And then now he's the kind of guy who you can set a really high ball screen for and he's going to dribble into a pull-up three. And he's going to, if, if you give him some daylight, he's going to make that more times than not. Um, I think over the this month where the Jazz, I think, have only lost one game, he's shooting just under mm. from three. He's, he's shooting yeah. at that level that he did a few years ago where he was among the league leaders in three-point percentage. Yeah. He's just an unbelievably rounded player and just completely underrated purely because of the um, the visual, the aesthetics, right? Yeah, for sure. Just because of what, yeah. what he is as opposed to, <laughs> you know, the way he produces and how efficient he is in doing that. Um, and honestly, I honestly think one of the most effective plays, one of the most effective duos in the NBA is probably Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert in a high pick and roll. Um, mm. And and that's a that's a big reason why the Jazz are able just to keep flowing because they can have their starters where Donovan Mitchell goes off. And then if, if Joe Ingles doesn't start, he comes off the bench and he's a, starter, he's a starter level playmaker in the NBA. And he also just happens to be one of the best shooters in the league as well. Yeah, I, I think part of the part of the issue, at least certainly, you know, maybe even three seasons ago, was that he would give up those wide open threes because he felt somebody else was even more open. And yeah. now he's not even hesitating to pull the trigger on that. He's actually there are a couple of times I've watched him shoot and gone, that's really un Joe like because there's a defender closing out and he never ever tries to shoot over a defender. And he's not only shooting over them, he's making them. So and if you look at the numbers, he's sneakily on track for a 50-40-90. He's only yeah. just under in, in in free throws. He's at 88% for free throws. Everything else is is over. He's over 50% from the field. He's over 40% from deep. So we might have an Australian in the 50-40-90 club. That's very cool. And I, I think of the jump shot just when we're looking at it. Do you remember how slow that jump shot used to be? It was. Mm. It had a, had a lot of dip. Um, it, it took him a while to get it up. Now we're seeing him, you know, the whole Clay Thompson in the corner just catching and shooting without even dipping the ball. Yep. We're seeing yep. that from Joe Ingles, and that's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And for a team yeah. that is able to whiz the ball around and move the ball so well, to have someone who's able to get that shot up that quickly is just such a... I don't, it's such a bonus to have for a team like that. And then we, and we're not even talking about his ability on the other end, where no. the, the, the perception around Joe Ingles is that he's slow, um, he can't move his feet, but he's such a good team defender. He's sneakily yeah. long. Um, and he's honestly yeah. just extremely impactful on both both ends of the floor, and it's like shockingly so because because of just the nature of how he entered the league, right? Just from the Euro yeah. League, unheralded. Like the, the joke was that he was he joined the Jazz as like Dante's like uncle, basically. Right? Dante <laughs> needed a, another Australian there, and it, it was nice to have yeah. Joe Ingles, and now he's turned into a, an impact guy for what is probably the best team in the NBA currently. Yeah. And he's also left-handed, which comes in handy at both ends of the court. So that, I think that helps. No, no, no. Okay. I thought that's why um, you bring that up. <laughs> no, but I just think it's an interesting little wrinkle that he's more effective at both ends because of that. I think it's, it's, it's an underrated, it's not a major thing, but it just makes mm. all the difference for somebody who, who's maximizing his abilities. Those little extras that, players just some players just can't get their heads around having to either defend or be defended by someone who is left-handed it just makes a difference and he's an awkward player anyway just by his nature yeah he, and i think you know he does some things that it looks like it's in slow motion in that you know he's just that sneaky good smart player and 
I mean, we've already seen that with the boomers. So to see him doing it on the NBA as well, is just it's just loads of fun. And here's the thing, and let's segue to the boomers now, because I don't think we've seen the, the peak Joe Ingles that we see in the NBA play for the boomers. I don't think we've seen that guy at a cons- on a consistent basis yet. Um, and I guess the boomers are going to be hoping for that level of Joe Ingles going into Tokyo. Now that brings us to our Tokyo chat, because there's a bit of a, a wrinkle that we're going to have to, well, we as Australians, but the, the boomers as a program are going to have to decide, which is which kind of quote unquote American to take. Um, the situation currently is Matisse Thibel, though legally he is a dual citizen on, on paper as an Australian, he's practically the same as Ben Simmons. Uh, but according to FIBA, I'm told it's very likely he's going to be deemed a naturalized player. Um, now a national team is only allowed to suit up one naturalized player for a tournament. Um, and so while that could be a good thing because Australia has a Matisse Thibel, there is also the potential of one Bryce Cotton becoming an Australian. Now that process is coming along. I, I spoke to his agent yesterday. It's coming along quicker than they think. And if anything, if he gets that citizenship, it'll help the Perth Wildcats. Um, yeah. if, if nothing else, it'll help them that they could potentially get a, a, another import. Um, mm. But when it comes to the boomers, if he is eligible to play for the boomers, which if he becomes Australian, he would be, then Brian Gorgian has a decision to make whether to bring Matisse Thibel or Bryce Cotton. Steve, when, you, when you're looking at it on paper, before we've seen anyone go to camp or, or anything like that, yep. who, who are you taking, if, considering we are only gonna, Australia is only going to be able to pick one? Yeah, look, uh, it'd be it'd be Matisse Thibel. Um, and it, I preface that by saying I love everything about Bryce Cotton and what he's brought to the NBL and what he could bring to the Boomers. Yeah. But in terms of what Matisse Thibel brings, not just for this next Olympics, but for the next pro- possibly three Olympics after that even, 100%. as a young, versatile, you know, two-way player at international level, I, I kind of think it's a no-brainer. I think somebody who values defense as much as Brian Gorgian does, I think it's a no-brainer. And offensively, we kind of know what Cotton will do. And we kind of already have that with Chris Golding. So, and who knows the system and who knows, and who already has his international chops playing for Australia. So I hate saying it, but I kind of feel like Bryce is going to be the odd man out here. And I I get the feeling you're probably on on the same page there too. Yeah, I am. Look, and look, Bryce Cotton is the best player in the NBL. Um, as far as he's the most effective player, I think the best import there's ever been. Granted, I'm young and I, I wasn't around when those older dudes were there, but he has those credentials, he's right? He's um, on the list, yeah. For sure. And But then when I look at these boomers, you know, you mentioned Chris Golding. I think he's practically a lock for this team, not just because I know Brian Gorgian is a big fan of his, but because Chris Golding has been part of this boomers core for a while. Yeah, and he's yeah. demonstrated the, the role he can play and demonstrated that he can do that at a high level. You know, we saw it in China at the World Cup. He, the role he plays yeah. as a spot up shooter is just perfect. It's exactly what this team needs. Um, when it yeah. comes to guys who you can play through and, and put the ball in the hands of, you know, we know that that's going to be Patty Mills. And if Ben Simmons plays, we know that Ben Simmons is going to touch the ball every possession as well. Um, and so the, the idea of bringing a Cotton 
over, uh, uh, like you said, a versatile defender in Matisse Thibault, someone who can shoot it at 40%-ish from downtown, which I think is what the team is going to need as well. Um, mm. and, and again, like you said, like I'm thinking of the, the Hawks team that Brian Gordon has, where he has Justin Simon at his disposal. Yeah. At his disposal, right? And, and Matisse Thibault is just a better version of Justin Simon, right? Um, yep. And then long you know, athletic two way player, yep, 100%. So, I, I just imagine we, we've seen the Hawks break out that zone a few times and it's it, it can be deadly. I'm, I'm looking mm. at him breaking that out with um Matisse and with Ben Simmons, it's similar to the way the Sixers have done it. Um, and Gordon yep. would, would just be salivating at that. Um, I do think the maybe the most important thing is the long term impact that it could have because you want yep. a 23 year old Matisse Thibel getting to play national team basketball with. Ben Simmons with potentially Josh Green with you know the the, the other with Jock Landau these young guys who yeah, yeah. are probably going to be in this team if if you want to create the current level of boomers culture that's led by Patty Mills and Joe Ingles and Aaron Baines and and Delhi and those guys and and yep. Bogut then you're going to need to find a way to to assimilate them to the program what better way to do that than to have Matisse Thibel be around boomers Patty yeah yeah absolutely and even just looking at, at Tokyo, like we could potentially have both Serbia and Croatia in our group. Like yeah. imagine having a Matisse Thibel to negate some of that size that, that they both, both those squads have, especially on the wings. So let him loose. And that, that, was a, that was slightly, that was partly an issue in China where, mm, yeah. you know, you can, you can go and put a guy on Evan Fournier, but then Nando DiColo comes off a bench and who's stopping him? Right, who, who are you putting on him? Nando Dicolo yep. ruined Australia. He he was so effective because he's so effective playing at that at that level and that style of basketball. Yep. So um, to to have the luxury of a Matisse Thibel, and you know we'll see what the situation is with Josh Green and whether he makes it too. But to have these versatile defenders where you can it's it's extremely switchable. You can yep. play them all at once because it's you, you can play this you know ultimate small ball lineup too. You know Bennett yep. the five. You know. And so I, I think basketball-wise, it also works. Um, and yeah, I think Australia has Paddy Mills. It's, Bryce Cotton is just a, a poor man's Paddy Mills, with respect to Bryce Cotton, right? We, mm, we know how 100%. effective he is. Yeah, yeah. Paddy Mills, yeah. it's, it's not even disrespect because Paddy Mills is who and what he is. Um, yeah, I, I think the fit matters. And it's just unfortunate because, you know, for the Wildcats, awesome. You know, they, they could potentially go yeah. get that other import and it helps them a lot. But Bryce Cotton's 28, I think going on 29. This was maybe his only chance at making an Olympics. Um, yeah. I, I, and I don't think, assuming everyone has a desire to play, um, then I, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think all things being equal, fitness and, and you know, availability-wise, I think he just misses out. And, and it's really unfortunate because I think for a long time, a lot of us had been looking forward to the idea of... of Bryce Cotton in a in a boomer's jersey, but with the depth of talent we have and the and if they're all available, it's it's he gets squeezed out just just yeah. by dint of of everyone else, and that's and that's a shame. It really is. And it also sucked because so last night, so we're recording this on a Wednesday. Last night we got to see the Wildcats and Kings go at it first time since last season's last season's grand final, which was a year ago, which is absurd. Um, and watching Bryce Cotton and Casper Ware go at each other, talk mm-hmm. talk trash to each other, 
that was awesome. So again, it would be cool to have that. Um, but I think Matisse Thybul changes a lot of that. Uh, I am here in Melbourne for the NBL Cup, which is where we saw Bryce Cotton. Uh, we saw the 36ers beat Southeast Melbourne Phoenix last night. Um, it's really cool out here. So we're going to talk about this this hub, this NBL Cup. Um, the atmosphere is, is, is interesting. In the stadium, the crowds aren't perhaps as big as you want them to be. Um, you know, sometimes you start, you start the night. So basically it's 18 double headers, right? So you start the night yeah. and sometimes it's a non-Melbourne team, uh, two non-Melbourne teams. And so, you know, last night, if you have Sydney going up against Perth, you maybe have three, 400 people in the crowd, which isn't ideal. Um, but then as soon yeah. as a Melbourne team, you know, is about to play, you know, fans do start to trickle in and there's a bit more of an atmosphere. But I think the cool thing is that players are learning that they've got to bring their own energy. Um, which is yep. cool to see them adjust to that, to that sort of thing. Um, so in the building, you can tell that, you know, players are getting used to it, fans are getting used to it. When you watch at home, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the energy like for you? You know, what, what's the experience like for you watching the NBL Cup? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit noticeable when it's, not, it's a non-Melbourne team or non-Melbourne teams playing, but yeah. you're right about them bringing their own energy. And having said that, even last night's Perth-Sydney game, it didn't lack for intensity and physicality. It was probably the most Absolutely. physical game, physical game of the cup so far. Like I, I had a friend, a Wildcats fan, texting me. He's like he was like filthy with Sydney for you know, <laughs> Dan Kicker throwing some elbows and and you know hitting Mooney on a on a on a bit of a shoulder after Mooney's had a dunk. And I was enjoying the whole spectacle of it because there was some real intensity to it. And I think you know f- from a from a bro- broadcast perspective, it's it's been a tremendous success. I've enjoyed being able to, you know, finish work and then turn on the TV and you've got two games of really high quality basketball. I think that there's been cool. some some really interesting and there's been some really interesting things come out of the cup so far. And and it, the, the Southeast Melbourne Adelaide game as well. It was two really good games last night. And I, I really enjoyed watching, you know, watching Gideon Humphreys do their thing for Adelaide, uh, especially in the fourth quarter. Like Humphreys was just a beast that dunk and it's oh lordy just <laughs> so good so good and and look i'm i'm thinking about it in the future as well right you know when mm. i walk around melbourne and sometimes I'll, I'll i'll basically i'll walk around the docklands docklands i don't know what it's called um I'll, I'll just kind of meander around the city and just wander everywhere and you'll see just players going on their walks now players are in their their strict protocols and they can only have limited time when they're able to go out for a walk. And I think they go grab a coffee and then they'll walk back, that sort of thing. Um, but it's just a cool vibe. You know, if I'm walking, I, I, the, other, the other day I was walking through Docklands, I saw Brendan Tease just, and, and Adam Doyle, I think who's here with the Sixers, just walking, you know, just say, say yep. hey to them. Um, yesterday I, I saw uh, Luke Longley and Kevin Lish just going for a stroll. I saw um, Trev Gleason today wearing his little Pacers jersey, just walking through... <laughs> Um, South Bank. And so, you know, the guys are everywhere. And it reminds me of like an NBA All-Star weekend environment where I don't know if you've ever been to one, but, you know, you'll go to a city and basically yep. the, the CBD has, is, is just taken over by the NBA. Um, they'll put big signs up everywhere. Um, there are little like novelty activities that people can take part in. Um, and basically they just drive everybody to the event. Um, you know, everything just points to the yep. NBA. They, they, basically, they just take over a city. And I feel like there's potential for the NBL to do that sort of thing because there are, there'll be a lot of players here. Um, so in a non-COVID yeah. environment, 
I really like the idea of the NBL just picking a city, a CBD, and just taking over it. And just, I, I feel like that's the ultimate advertisement that they can have, which is just look it up, look how present we are, look how professional we look. Um, yep. You know, because the aesthetics of a, of a basketball environment are very, very cool. Um, and you can see that just around the NBL Cup. I, I think I'm, I'm near Federation Square. I'm probably butchering yep. that. Um, no, no. They, they broadcast and show highlights of the games on that massive screen there, which I think yeah, is something yeah. that, that, you know, they could do in the future and, and then also just, you know, have a heap of activities to, to bring people in. So the atmosphere is quite cool here. I know you haven't been out to games yet, but once you do get out to, you know, Melbourne and this area, mm. um, I feel like you, you'll feel little bits of it and you'll see the potential. Yeah, for sure. I'm sorry. I can't get over Trevor Gleason in a Pacers jersey. It's like a Pacers, uh, um, like, warm-up, like, like a shirt. Because, like, given the amount that he talks to refs, it would have had to have been a Reggie Miller joint, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, probably. <laughs> I can't um, get over the thought of that. That's great. <laughs> look, and, and, and so I think that the players are starting to enjoy it. You know, you can see... The players coming in and watching the games as well. They have to stay in that, you know, quote unquote clean area. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the only, so there are some issues that some players have brought up to me. One of them is uh, the idea of warm ups. If you're playing in that second game, you're screwed. Um, there's, yeah. what I've been told is that there's one warm up court, but it's actually just half a court and it's basically like a fever three on three sort of court. Um, it's okay. just one hoop for both teams to warm up on before they can go out onto the court half an hour before a game and do the actual sort of pre-game shoot-around sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so if yeah. you're in that second game, you really don't have much time to get shots up before a game. Um, so that's obviously a negative. Um, and hopefully they fix that with the Australian Open finishing up. Maybe there's more space yeah. around here. Um, so I, sure. I think they, they should be able to fix that. The other thing is, you know, we, we spoke about this being a cup environment and, you know, it's cool if you're, uh, let's say you're an Adelaide-based person in in melbourne you can go out and watch the 36ers play it's when melbourne united plays it's practically a home game it's mm. it's really clear that that's a, a home crowd there to see them now southeast melbourne gets it to an extent uh but nowhere near to the same extent that melbourne united does and so do they have an advantage sure um is that something we're just going to have to to live with obviously um but i think that's something to take note of it, melbourne united does get eight home games out here um whether you think that's unfair you know you have a you have a, a it's it's warranted to to have that opinion yeah for sure I've, I've had more than a couple of um perth and adelaide fans you know on twitter sort of say to me oh well all these home games from melbourne you know this has just been set up so melbourne you know it can can not only win win the cup but that they've got you know suddenly a multitude of, of extra home games um yeah. but i think I think it's just something you're going to have to deal with if we're going to have this cup style, you know, mid-season tournament. Like if we, you know, but if we have it in other cities, like then that becomes the issue for whoever's hosting it then. So it yeah. swings and roundabouts for me. Yeah. As long as it becomes a consistent thing where each year they just bring it to a different city, then well, there's, there's still some issues with it, but I think that sort of evens the playing field a little bit. Um, yeah. One thing I do want to bring up, and I'm going to turn this into our Get Real segment, um, the coaches challenge. Now, I mm. feel like most of our, our Get Real rants and, and ravings are just about 
weird initiatives that the NBL brings forward. Um, yeah. But this coach's challenge is, is interesting. I don't disagree with the idea of a coach's challenge. Um, I don't know why it was just introduced as a, a little spectacle for this cup because this cup counts toward no. regular season yeah. games. Um, so this is something that Brian Gordon has brought up saying, well, if these games are the same practically because they count towards your standings, then what, why isn't this a thing throughout the entire season? Um, yeah. And while I do agree with it, um, having a coach's challenge, um, I, I think it just has to be consistent across the board. I think they have to allow this to remain a thing going forward as soon as the cup ends. I think every team should have their coaches challenge. Um, I think if a team wins a coaches challenge, I think they should get possession realistically. Um, I'm also just confused at the whole idea of a jump ball happening when if there's a jump ball in the middle of a game, a jump ball doesn't happen. You, you use a possession exactly. arrow. Exactly. Um, exactly. So there are, there are inconsistencies there. Um, but I think the main thing is, again, if you're going to introduce this for the cup and the cup's going to count toward a regular season record, then I think this has to stay in place moving forward until the end of the season. I don't know if you agree. I hope you do. Yeah, no, I actually do. For all um, my own personal griping about, you know, review delays and things like that, mm. if you're going to introduce this, I think you're 100% bang on that it has to be for the, the rest of the season, especially if these games count for the you know final standings. So this isn't just about the cup then. So I think Brian had, had a really, really good point there. You, you can't just suddenly introduce this and then take it away again once the quote-unquote cup finishes. So let, let's be consistent about this. I, I, I get, you know... I, you know, sometimes there's, there's enough time spent on reviews and that, but if you're going to have it for, for one, have it for all. So I'm, I'm firmly in agreement. And, and I think NBL coaches have to study what the NBA has done with these coaches challenges as well. Yeah. Uh, these challenges as well. They largely NBL coaches haven't used it effectively. Um, I think we've seen in the NBA that your the most effective thing is to wait until the end of a game and, and use it on a, a contentious call that could turn a game. Um, yeah. And we saw yeah. that last night in Adelaide where Connor Henry yeah. used it yeah. to, um, it was a Tony Crocker contesting a Cam Glidden three. They called a foul. That would have been Crocker's fifth foul. It would have been out of the game. Mm. They challenged it. Yeah. Crocker stayed in the game and made an impact down the stretch. Uh, and that was contrasted by Simon Mitchell getting all coaches challenge happy and using it on a call that was obviously a foul just because yeah. I feel like he wanted to get one back. And he wasted a coach's challenge. There was I was with Roy Ward at the game. The age is Roy Ward. Big ups to him. Um, and he he mentioned it to me. He was like, "What what does what would Simon Mitchell get out of this? Even if they do win this challenge, a jump ball that That's Isaac right. Humphreys, Humphreys is probably going to win anyway. No, you, you yep. might as well just just keep it in your pocket. And so I think that's going to be a thing. In the same way that everyone's getting used to working with analytics and and you know basing the sets that you run based on tendencies and whatnot. I feel like this is going to be a way that you can use this tactically um, as I think it should be. If it's going to be a rule, find a way to use it as effectively as possible. Yeah. And that's going to be in late game scenarios. We can, I, I think that's, that's not going to be a secret for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, look, I, I hope to see you come to the NBL cup. Um, I'll be seeing you, you very shortly. Thank you so much. Um, a lot of those NBL cup games are broadcast on ESPN. So make sure you, you stay tuned for that. I'm out here and I'll be doing some interviews with, with some players and, and administrators and general managers and all those sorts of people around this place where we have restrictions that we have to work with because the players are 
trying to remain as low risk as, as possible. And so we're working around that, but just stay tuned for all that sort of stuff. Uh, whether it's on the podcast, which on your favorite podcast app, rate, review, subscribe, all that jazz, or ESPN.com.au. Make sure to stay tuned with everything. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye.